Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lo, and joining me as guest co-host today is Senior Editor Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. We're here to talk all about what else but WWDC 2022. It happened in Apple Park on Monday, and a ton of news was announced, including the new. M2 chip, the system on chip, as well as the MacBook Air, which has been redesigned. We're going to go into all of that in a little bit, but we're also going to talk about Microsoft's new little Surface, the Surface Laptop Go 2, which Sam has managed to get some time with. Uh, Sam can tell us all about that. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure you subscribe on all your podcast platforms uh, that you like and leave us a review on iTunes and also send your thoughts to podcast at Engadget.com. We also do a live broadcast of the behind the scenes recording of this show on YouTube, on the Engadget YouTube channel every Thursday morning at about 10 a.m. Eastern. So if you want to get some live interaction with us and send us your questions there, you can also join us over on YouTube. Okay, so... Apple hosted its kind of weird WWDC this year, right? It was sort of like an in-person event, but it was also like a pre-recorded event uh, that we, those of us who were there in person, watched being played on a giant screen for us, which is uh, interesting. Um, and Sam, you watched from here in New York with the rest of the team, right? How'd that go for you? It seemed a little weird to me because it's like normally they host the event in Steve Jobs Theater, but you guys yeah. were outside in like the park in the middle of the big Apple spaceship. So h- yeah. how is that? That was so funny. It was... Uh, I suspect that the reason to do it somewhat outdoorsy is to, you know, make sure that we don't get all cramped inside one big giant indoor space where there's still kind of a pandemic going around. I mean, here I am right, right, right. sniffling from something else, not COVID, but who knows? Yeah, um, I mean, you probably, probably picked up something. I mean, it might not be COVID, but something, you know, some other bug. You know, that many people. I also saw that, like, you know, some other people were like in the like the Apple Park cafeteria and they were watching from inside. And that yeah. seems like, you know, slightly better because you were watching on a screen anyways. It's like, yes. you know, why, why didn't they just put everybody inside where, you know, it's a little bit... You know, get the air conditioning. You're not like in the sun. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, you, so- I think you you moved to like yeah. get in the shade, so you weren't as hot. Yeah, the media the media section was like half in the sun and half in the shade, and because like I'm such an aggro person, I was like in the front of the line when we were going in. So the front few rows were actually in the sun. And then while we were sitting there, Dana and I, Dana uh, Woman, our editor in chief, was there with me. We were like, I, I don't know if I want to sit here in the sun while my battery melts on my lap. So for, for two hours, for two whole hours. So we, we 
looked out for seats behind and we were able to get um, a seat a few rows back and we didn't even need the AC. Like once you're out of the sun, it actually just the temperature difference is huge. But anyway, it, it definitely was, I mean, look, yes, we were watching things on the screen. I will say that to make it a little bit better, I guess, Tim Cook and Craig Federighi did come out at the before the, the streaming started and, you know, welcomed everyone. Thank, you know, thank us for being there in person. I was just like, for us, if we hadn't thought that there would be an opportunity to see some hardware, I don't think we would have gone. So I know that there's some sort of like carbon foot uh, footprint sort of involved in this, but for us, it was worthwhile to, you know, for the potential of new hardware. Anyway, oh, for sure. speaking of new hardware, we did see the new redesigned MacBook Air with an M2 chip. Uh, I think we'll get to the M2 chip in a little bit, but the MacBook Air itself, I touched this thing, I like, you know, typed on it, played with it, opened the camera. Some of its, um, I think the most striking feature or change at least is that it's, you know, no longer got the wedge shape where it's got the slightly tapering um, edges. The profile is not like getting slimmer and slimmer towards the top of the lid. It is just basically more squarish. It looks basically like the MacBook Pro that was launched last year um and it's got four colors as was rumored but the colors are just not the fun ones that we were hoping for these are midnight starlight space gray and the last one i just can't remember apple's name for it but it's like a light light silver or something like that so gold silver light silver and blue basically right it's also got the MagSafe charge charging port back. You've also got like that larger screen and therefore um, a notch to house the new camera, which is now 1080p instead of just 720p. Sam, are you impressed by this new MacBook Air? I don't know if impressed is the right word. I think it's the upgrade that the MacBook Air really needed. Uh, I, I think, you know, you mentioned in your hands-on that like, I think the wedge shape was a little dated and I, I agree with you. Um, and this actually kind of reminds me of, remember like a few years ago, I and mean, this is maybe more than a few years ago, when they came out with the standard just 12-inch MacBook. It wasn't an Air, it wasn't a Pro, it was just a 12-inch MacBook. And it had like one port and I was extremely frustrated by that um, device. And then this is like the MacBook, this is what I wanted that thing to be. It has more ports, it has you know, a great processor, you still have MagSafe, so you have the magnetic charging thing, and it's like, you know, oh, and they, they got rid of the 720p from the old model, yep. uh, 720p webcam from the old model, and then you get a nicer screen. It's like, this is really what, like, your entry, I mean, granted, it's not really entry-level price, because it starts at, what, $1,200? $1,199, yeah, so $1,200, yep. Yeah, and, and so, you know, the price is still a little bit high, but, like, that's it, it's really, it's got everything you want from, you know, a really slim Mac laptop. It is it is very expensive. Now, to be clear, that is two hundred dollars more than the uh, M1 MacBook Air was. So it's which is that still going to be on sale. So it's exactly. not like it's going away. It's, it's still an option, but yeah. Speaking of ports, I personally didn't really enjoy the port placement. It was the two USB C, and there was only two USB Cs. Like when you say more ports, there's I guess the MagSafe concepts one, um, mm -hmm. but there's the two USB C slash Thunderbolt ones are on the left side next to the MagSafe. For me. Like, I use the type of dongle that only has one USB-C port, and then it covers up the other port when you, you know, put it there on the same side. I like those that have one on either side. But the other thing that's different about um, the MacBook Air is that it's got four speakers now, uh, all built within the enclosure. So I didn't see any grills, you know, on the um, right. MacBook Air's body. And they, and they said it somehow supports spatial audio, even though it's not yeah. like 
there's no speakers behind you. So, I mean, yeah. did you did you get a chance? I was probably pretty crowded there. You know, right. noise environment, probably not the best with like, you know, 100 other people right next to you. I will say, I went there. I was like, should I try to play some music to get a sense of the spatial audio? I gave up. Like you said, it was noisy. <laughs> it's not the sort of situation where you can determine. But I, 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 I will brag about this. So there, it was a very long walk from the keynote area over to the hardware experience area. It was maybe like a mile or something. And as we I slowly overtook some people. And then I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to make it too clear that I'm trying to charge to the front here. So I slowly kind of. You're, you're slowly secretly not trying to start a stampede. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then like you I know, saw, once the first person starts running, everyone is going to start like running. jogging or whatever. And I didn't want to make people run with their backpacks full of heavy equipment on. But I, I spotted David Pierce and Neil from The Verge walking ahead of us. I was like, I cannot be behind them. They were doing the same thing as I was. So in the end, they made their way to the front of the line. I trailed behind them like. A little bit. And then towards the last, like, I want to say, like, last 10 feet of, like, getting to the what I could see the experience area, I just, like, sped up because I was, like, holding back. I was, like, I sped up and I got over to the front there. I was the first one to touch a MacBook Air. So, humble hey. bragging rights. Weird brag, but uh, there you go. Um, that, <laughs> that's hey, it. you know, it's important for journalists to be fit, too. You know, we got to gotta get to the products first. We, we carry heavy equipment and we walk a bunch. So there you go. Um, all that said, I, I, I got there, grabbed a MacBook, started playing with it. And then we, I rushed right off to like a, a writing area, which was far away. So I did spend very limited time with this thing. I will say the screen looks nice. It is a liquid retina display now as opposed to um, a retina that the resolution is more or less the same. I mean, there's like 64 pixels more because it's slightly taller of an aspect ratio. And that's about it. The keyboard was nice. I typed a little bit into it. Um, the trackpad's nice too. There's also the Touch ID sensor on the power button on the top right um, that our editor-in-chief, Dana, liked because uh, she said like it, it just the groove, I think, appealed to her as well as the, the fact that it's not like a glossy finish that will attract all kinds of fingerprint smudging. So there's a lot to like, I think. Oh, and not to mention, uh, not to forget... Fast charging, fast charging on a MacBook Air, which I think is really an important feature to have um, without, I mean, on its own, the battery will last up to 18 hours of video playback. What is what Apple said? Um, Google, I mean, Apple also launched a new adapter. Sam, this is, this seems right in your, right up your alley, new adapters. You want to tell us yeah. more about that? Uh, I mean, um, that's one thing that like I'm kind of currently long-term testing is I'm doing some testing for some power adapters. Especially because now, like, especially on the phone side, you know, a lot of the companies aren't giving you power adapters in the box. So now, you know, I'm trying to see if, like, you know, which one does it make? And, it, like, you we're kind of at a point where it's like, oh, now that we're not getting free, you know, free power adapters in with new devices, you kind of have to, like, think about it. It's like, oh, do I want, like, a high-powered device that has, you know, can power everything? Or do I want, like, a small one that's only for my phone and then I have, like, a medium-sized one for a laptop and then... I'm good. And so there's there's actually two. There's um there there are 35 watt power adapters. There's a dual port one and then there's um a slightly larger uh dual port one. And there's uh, no estimated time on when they're going to be available. Uh, I checked the Apple website yesterday. They just said coming soon. Um so I I'm kind of be be excited to test that out. I almost wonder just like this is kind of like foreshadowing for like is it do you think it's even possible that they might have USB-C on an iPhone this year? I don't think this year, but next year. Yeah, maybe. the skeptic in me says probably not, but like, you know, if you wanted something to like, you know, charge, 
you know, a new adapter to charge your iPhone and then an iPhone with USB-C. This is kind of like paving the way for that. Maybe, um, you know, there was that EU decision that came out recently mm. talking about, hey, uh, all all devices have to have USB-C uh, starting in 2024. So, you know, that'll be really interesting. Yeah. And so regardless of whether Apple wants to do it or not, they're going to be forced to have some sort of solution with USB-C. So uh, it's nice. Uh, and with the 35, or I think it's a 67 uh, watt charger, you can get up to 50% of juice on your MacBook Air M2 in, in 30 minutes. So that's really not bad at all for a laptop battery that's that big. Um, and speaking of availability, you were mentioning the, the new MacBook Air is going to be available. You can already pre-order it more or less, but uh, it's only going to ship next month. Um, so we don't really have... You know, unit out in the wild for testing just yet. It's it's a little but, unusual because usually Apple's really good about like, hey, there's this new thing and you can pre-order it or it'll be available next week or in two weeks and then you know shipments will start going out. So it's a little interesting to see that like you know it's not going to be available until July. That said, I mean it's a difference of a couple weeks. Um, but I, I know you know there's a lot of people who have been like waiting to upgrade and I was like just wait for WWDC. You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't announce something, but at least you'll know and have a better idea. Um, but, you know, like I said, the the new M2 Air seems like a really great, you know, all-around system. Speaking of the new M2 Air, there's also a new M2 MacBook Pro 13-inch. There, It doesn't seem like it's a lot different from the 14 and 16-inch models that were launched last year, other than the M2 chip. Um, and... Uh, also, I believe MagSafe. Uh, there was a little bit of a debate around, like, in the press room, which, by the way, was so fun to be in the press room again. But in the press room, like, a bunch of us, like, were talking, is there, is it, what's different about the 13-inch MacBook Pro again? And we're all asking each other the question. Um, very little is known, but it seems like, yeah, not much has changed from the 13-inch MacBook Pro with M2 versus the 14 and 16-inch with Mac M1, Max, and Pro. Um, but speaking of all those chips, Sam, any thoughts on the M2 and the performance changes there? I think the big takeaway for me is that there's some hardware acceleration for the media engine now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think in, in the, the video, uh, Apple said it's about 18% um, more performance overall in general compared to the M1, which, you know, is, that's not nothing to, like, you know, laugh at, but it's not, you're not seeing the huge leaps that you were from the Intel to M1 transition. And I think that's the thing to, like, you know, keep in mind is that, you know, they changed architecture when they went from Intel to, you know, their own M2 stuff. And then now they're kind of doing the iteration game. And so I think a lot of people is like, you know, they don't expect a 50% jump from every new M chip every year. That's just, right, you know, exactly. it's, it's a little bit unrealistic. And so this is kind of like, you know, more settling into the kind of cadence that people will, might be expecting more you know, going down the line with M3, M4, whatever, you know, we see in the future. I mean, I think we'll see more also coming with the other chips, right? Like the M2 Pro, M2 Max, and so on and so forth. Then, yeah, so there is only a, a kind of small jump here. Um, but until we test it out, I think I think it's hard to say, like, what that meaning fully uh, represents for us in the real world. Even if it is not something that, like, is a huge jump from the M1, like Sam said, like, you're not upgrading your MacBooks every year. If you have an M1 MacBook Air, you don't necessarily need a new one just yet. These are these should last longer for you. Um, if you really like the redesign, um, then maybe that's like a big reason to buy a new one, but I don't think you would buy one just for the strength of the, of the new chip alone. So I think we're, what, is that all of the hardware that we saw last week? Am I for uh, last week? 
Good Lord. It's been forever, y'all. That uh, <laughs> we saw earlier this week. Um, we also saw a ton of software news. Sam, what what what's your favorite like software area to focus on? What do you want to start with? For for iOS, Mac OS, are we talking? Out of all of them, we could start with Mac OS just because we've been just talking about the Macs. I, I mean, I think to me, like you know, there's a lot of iterative updates. I think, you know, a lot of the safety features um, are interesting. The thing that actually has me the most curious is when they showed using the iPhone yes. um, to take, like, top-down yes. shots. It was like, yes. how are they doing that? Yeah. That was, um, I'm, conf- I was like, it seems, like, too good to be real. But, like, if, if, you know, if they can pull it off, that's awesome. And, like, you know, this is, like, actually super useful for us because it's, like, you know, we a lot of times, like, we're doing unboxings or whatever. We want that top-down shot. And, mm-hmm. like, not all of us have, like, you know a rig in, a, in like a camera arm so that we can get that straight top down shot. So that's actually seems really useful just on like a everyday sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. I So the feature you're talking about, yes, is part of macOS and iOS called continuity camera and, and then also desk view, right? Part of continuity mm-hmm. camera where you're allowed to use your iPhone um, as like a webcam for your MacBook. FaceTime calls because why? Because those traditionally have been pretty shitty webcams. Um, but yeah, I, I, A, I think it requires some sort of hardware setup. First of all, you're going to need at least a tripod for your phone while you're Yeah, they the showed call. an interesting little clip that like was able to yeah. just like go onto the lid of a MacBook. Uh, yeah. They didn't mention if that's going to be like they're going to sell that or what. Exactly. Um, but like yeah, you, you're going to need something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so the feature that Sam was talking about where it uses like the wide angle camera on the iPhone um, to to do both your face and what's on your table, which, like Sam said, seems too good to be true. Like I get wide angle cameras, but they're not that wide. Like maybe it's like a distance away from your laptop. Like you have to be right. at least seven inches away to see the desk. And it, and it seems like they must have some like uh, like kind of impressive processing because like it did. It looks like they like kind of eliminated a lot of the. Uh, the barrel distortion that you usually get from like a ultra wide angle lens, which I think is how they're getting that shot. So they, they, they must be doing some sort of like special processing to make that because when you saw it on the video, it's like very straight lines. Straight, like, yeah. yeah, it was it was very impressive. I will say a lot of the tweets that I saw around this feature involve people going like, oh, what happens when I get a call on my phone? I don't want to be distracted. Like, no. I think Apple saw this through, right? It's going to use things like handoff and whatever to like when your call comes in on your phone while you're using continuity camera, it probably will throw up a message on the MacBook that you're actually using um, where you have your attention to be like, hey, you've got a call coming in on FaceTime, reject, decline, you know, set uh, answer now if you want. Um, but I obviously haven't tested this out myself. I don't know how it works, but I believe that's part of the the, the um, system here. Also, and you know, you can always set like do not disturb or focus mode. So because if you're you know if you're in the middle of filming a video, like you probably don't want to answer a call. Like you know, do your work or whatever, and then you can you know catch up with whoever you know called you later. Yeah, and uh, the rest of the macOS updates, which by the way, macOS is now the newest version of macOS is Ventura. I don't know where in California that is. Uh, everyone's just thinking about Ace Ventura. Ventura Boulevard? I don't think that's what they were going for, though. (laughs) I don't know what they were going for, but macOS Ventura. um, Yeah, there are some small changes here and there. I think some of the biggest differences are are in what we were just talking about, continuity, continuity camera. Um, On the whole, I'm not a big macOS user, so very, very few of these changes really got my interest. What I was very intrigued by is iOS. But Sam, 
before I move on to iOS, was there anything about macOS that jumped out at you? Um, not directly. The thing that I th- think is interesting is like how they're adding a lot of a lot more desktop features to iPad OS. Oh so yeah. They, you know they they showed like the the screen um, the external monitor support and stuff like that. And this is this is kind of goes along with like my theory and a lot of you know this is not like a secret theory that like you know they're slowly transforming iOS slash iPad OS into Mac OS and you know maybe eventually uh, you know iPad OS is going to replace Mac OS because you know they're they're really trying to make a lot of the features the same across the board um, and I think you know like for example there's still no Mac with a touchscreen and it's right. like but if you make iPad OS good enough so that you know people don't notice the difference then suddenly you have touchscreen support and you can put it on a Mac and you know there you go I I mean that's a really good point I, I do think that the thing you're talking about with iPad OS is the freely resizable overlapping windows for the first time that's definitely going to bring iPad OS more in line with like a desktop uh, you know productivity experience I think though that like iOS still has a home, still has its own place. I don't think we're going to see iOS transition all the way to replace the desktop version. Maybe iPadOS and macOS might eventually Yeah, pro- probably more iPadOS, not iOS like proper, yeah. Yeah, but even if they didn't merge down the line, I do think there's distinct enough like use cases for all three that they could like still stick around. Um, but you know, I'm not Apple. I don't know what they think. I think iPadOS 16. I think the main the main highlight was that was the fact that they would have overlapping um, windows and a lot of the other updates to iPadOS were shared with iOS 16. So I want to get into that. Now, iOS 16. One of the big things here. The new lock screen, right? I mean, like you can, it's customizable very much in the way you customize an Apple Watch um, home screen. Um, so, you know, I got some more details from Apple after the keynote. And basically, when the lock screen is unlocked, you long press the lock screen to bring up the editor. And you can swipe through the font faces for your clock, um, colors, and that sort of thing. You can also change the wallpapers. You can add widgets. So there's a bar under the clock that will take up basically the entire width of your screen. And you can put up to four uh, widgets in this section here, in this little bar. Um, either two big ones or you know four small ones or one big, two small, that sort of thing. And there's also room for yet another widget at the top of the clock. So altogether, you get up to like five, right? That's the widget area is contained to the like top third of your screen. And then notifications are going to be sort of, they're redesigned, right? They stay out of the way now because Apple wants to give room to your wallpaper to take up like front and center. So when a notification, when you have a bunch of notifications, they're just all going to be grouped together in one row. And to see them, you kind of have to like swipe down to see them instead of having them all displayed all the time. Um, And then you can also swipe them so they like sit at the bottom of the screen and they get out of the way. Um, And then there's a new feature called Live uh, View, I believe, um, which is basically notifications for live events, right? Like you're watching a game and the score is updating in real time, or you've got an Uber ride that's making its way to you. That sort of live event can have its own notification uh, on the screen at the bottom now, so you don't have to unlock your phone, which I think, I don't know if this is the rationale Apple never said, but for me, this is a good way to use your phone still and see important stuff without having to do Face ID and unlock your freaking phone with your mask on. Um, Sam, as an as a hardcore Android user, like I've been for the longest time, how does this speak to you? Like, do you feel like you wish Android had this? Um, I mean, to a certain extent, Android has some of these features already. So, like, you know, I, I was it was interesting because it seems like 
a lot of the lock screen and home screen wallpaper changes is sort of Apple's, you know, uh, version of Android or Google's Material U that we mm. got with Android 13 um, last year. And so, and it's like, obviously, like, you know, whatever inspired, copied, like, I don't, I don't want to get into that. It's like, you know, you, you see that, like, they're taking, like, the, they're really focusing on the UI and, like, the visual design of the lock screen in a very Apple way. So they, 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 there's, like, the ability to have, like, you know, different layers on your home screen. So you can have, like, your wallpaper go in front of, like, the clock text. And they even show that, like, you can use, like, a some sort of, like, magic uh, lasso tool to, like, bring, like, photos to your pet and, like, isolate that and then put it on your wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious to see how that works because if anyone has used like ma- the magic lasso in Photoshop, you know it's not perfect. So it's like no, it's not, you know yeah. what the, what what they showed there looked really slick. So I, you know, I'm curious to see how that turns out. I'll say, I mean, like something like this works already on the Apple Watch, right? Where you, if you take a portrait shot with the uh, with an iPhone, you can use it as a, a similar uh, watch. Right, and they face, did say right? it was inspired by a lot of the watch faces yeah. from you know Watch OS. Yeah, and so on that one, it works, right? Like whenever I take a portrait mode shot of, I guess, myself, um, the my head's always cropped out correctly in front of the, the clock area. So, so far, it seems like it works, but maybe there's a caveat, like you said, like it has to be taken with the portrait mode on. Where or it just works better with portrait mode, like, you know, portrait mode shots. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. But but yeah, you were, you, you were still talking about um, the lock screen before I interrupted. Oh, um, and it's just like, you know, they, they, they allow you to change your fonts, um, which is like, you know, yeah. a small thing, but very, very nice. And it's like, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, Apple adding widgets to the main home screen uh, in iOS. And it's like, they're really kind of adding a lot more customization features to iOS, which like for a long time, you just had nothing, right? You could choose your wallpaper and like, that was it. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really like that. Um, and it's like, you know, they're, they're making it easy to do kind of more advanced things because, mm-hmm. you know, Android, you've been able, you can customize anything you want on Android, but a lot of times it's just like a huge pain in the ass. And so like, you know, it get it gets really tiring to like constantly update and like kind of cone your like Android wallpaper. So I like making a lot of the, like, the more advanced features a little bit more accessible. Uh, I did want to ask, what do you think about the new notification system where you have notifications rolling up from the bottom of the screen? I mean, I didn't see it in action myself yet. I mm-hmm. was. I think it looks neater. I'm not the. I get. I'm the sort of person that gets really annoyed by like more and more notifications because I get so many from apps that like. I'm like, I thought I deleted you. I thought I deleted your permission a long time ago, but no, you're back up here. Um. So I do like the idea of not being overwhelmed by them. Um. How it works in practice, whether I'll miss them, whether I I miss important messages. Um. I think that remains to be seen. Right. I think I have to wait till. We actually get to test this. But the other thing about this is the lock screen is also tied to your focus modes, by the way. So you can um, swipe between them when you're in that editor mode to set a new lock screen very quickly. But you can also tie, for example, the picture of your pet is your home focus mode. The picture of your laptop, if you put up Right, they're, they're making it a little bit more dynamic. They even show like, you know, it can adjust based on like the weather and like right. the cycles of the moon or like in a whole oh, bunch yeah. of other factors. I mean, there's a lunar phase coming to watchOS as well, but we'll get into that later. There's the, the, the uh, focus modes when you, for example, that's introduced uh, like a while ago last year, I believe, uh, where you can set different, you know, apps to, to, to allow them to be able to ping you or not, um, different home screens that you want to use based on time of day or, or your schedule or your location. Um, so now you can e- more easily change these focus modes by just 
swiping your lock screen left or right, um, which is pretty nice. The other thing, uh, one last thing I want to talk about the lock screen before I want to go into the more exciting feature. Um, the last thing about the lock screen is that uh, what wasn't shown on the keynote is a new like a photo carousel um, wallpaper where you can actually select like something like five photos to rotate through and display. So if you have more than one child and you want to spotlight <laughs> them and make sure they're they don't accuse you of favoritism, you can set it on like family photos or like each kid gets their own, you know, slot. on. Ha, this have you not heard of a group shot? Come on now. That's no, true. I'm, I'm, put, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. But you know, the lock screen is crammed. So everybody wants their space big. And I mean, maybe you have five partners, you know, and you want to, okay. <laughs> you know, polyamory is a thing. Not for me, but you know, you could. Anyway, so so speaking of uh, five partners and maybe sometimes wanting to keep secrets from each other or just not spill your stuff all over the world, Messages has a bunch of new features, big ones being an edit button and undo send. And I think that these, I, look, if you've used a messaging app like Telegram or WhatsApp, you've been able to undo or re like retract your messages for a while. You've been able to edit messages in a while. But for iMessage to get them finally and iMessage being such a predominant messaging app in the US, I think this is really, really nice to see. Um, I mean, it looks like it functions just exactly the way it does in apps like Telegram and WhatsApp. But one caveat is that you can only make your changes within 15 minutes of your original sending of the message. So if you want to, if you remember that you sent something wrongly, you want to rescind it, you have to do it within 15 minutes of having sent it. Um, and if you do make any changes to your message to someone, the notification that they get, um, if they hadn't seen the, the mistaken version before, you will be able to, um, they will actually see the correct one um, uh, reflected on their phone. So Sam, does this like, for us over in Android land, I mean, messages just freaking sucks. I don't even... So are, do you have like iMessage Envy? No. Um, <laughs> I, I will say though, I, I, I love that like they're adding this feature because anytime I use like a chat program and it doesn't have the like edit or like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not less less picky about the undo send, but I, that is definitely a useful feature. I just like, you know, let, let me edit my stuff. Like we're not sending sms's from 15 years ago like right. we're talking about we're, we, we live in like a rich media landscape let us edit let us like it's like you know if, if you make a typo just why not be able to change it uh yeah you know like like and twitter's gonna apparently add an edit button at some point too and or is testing it out right now and it's like just just everybody just do this across the board um like i get mad when i can't do it on you know the apps that i use so it's like this should be standard yes. like for everybody and, and, and to your point, too, we don't live in an SMS world anymore, right? Like, we had to learn the whole, like, asterisk, this is what I meant sort of thing, lingo, because we couldn't edit. The whole reason there's a star, correct version, is because SMS is like... And then you also get, like, 7,000 messages if, like, someone sent one error and then, like, you know, keeps getting autocorrected by accident. So you get follow-up messages. It's, like, so much spam. Um, but Ji Ming Chong in the, in the chat on YouTube has a good point, which is that... Um, they believe 15 minutes is too short of a window. Do you think 15 minutes, you know, is, is too short? Um, I'm undecided. Uh, I think that that's, that's one of those things that you want to spend a little bit more time with. In a, in a lot of, like, you know, apps, there is no limit. Um, but, like, you know, depending on, like, you know, in work Slack, you know, your company gets to decide what that limit is. And so it's like, 
you know, it, it's interesting. I, I I wish it was longer, but I'm mm-hmm. not like upset about it because usually it's like you send something, you notice you said something like you did a typo or you made a mistake and you just change it immediately. And I think that's the most important part. I will say that it's not like the message doesn't show that it's been edited, right? Apple will display the word edited so you get, you know, you know something has been changed. Yeah, and, and that, that's important too because you don't want to be like, oh, now you're trying to like gaslight people. It's like, oh, I didn't say that when you did, you just made a mistake. Right. Right, exactly. Which is why the, I mean, I personally feel like 15 minutes may be too short of a window, but it is also kind of when you are still in the mood of like, you know, looking at that message and what you said, you're still in the conversation. Whereas like after 15 minutes, you might have just walked away and started to do something else. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's a huge deal just yet. And undo send is also kind of a, yeah, like you said, it's it's like rescinding the message. It's, it's nice to have, but not necessarily like the biggest thing that's come yeah. to iMessage. I, I, I'm just a little sad for like now we're probably going to get less stories of like people who send yeah. like something to like their coworker when they really meant to send it to their partner or whatever. And it's like, okay, we're going to get less of those like funny stories. But yeah, no, it's, it's great. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my mom on WhatsApp, like she, there was one night I woke up to like seven deleted messages. I was like, mom, what did you send? She was like, oh no, I got angry about something and I'm not angry anymore. I was like, mom, what the hell? Like, tell me what you were angry about. No, I misread something. So, I mean, now we're going to get more mysteries like that, I guess. Um, but that's not all that's coming to messages. There's also new dictation tools. Um, one of them is very similar to um, Google's uh, voice typing on the Pixel 6s, which is you can you know leave the microphone on and still be able to edit with both your voice and the actual keyboard um, while you're composing a message. So that's not um, terrible. Um, and then there's some family sharing features that are going to be um, coming that will allow kids, I guess, to like, request for permissions for certain features by sending you a message and you can also do the approval from there yeah that's kind of streamlining some of the parental controls and making it easier for parents to send up like you know a kid's account with the right restrictions like you know you don't want them to go to certain websites or you can set um you know uh screen time limits and stuff like that I also want to I want to shout out to one more thing in messages which is that like um our producer Ben brought this to my attention they're also going to make uh Android emoji reactions to messages uh hey. just more streamlined hey we're part of the crew now in your group texts uh on uh, on iMessage anyway um one thing that uh, Google announced it was doing recently was that like it won't send that spam message anymore where it's like, oh, so and so like Sam reacted with a heart to your message, right? Like it just doesn't do that. It shouldn't do that anymore. But on the Apple side of things, when a, an Android user sends an emoji reaction to your um, message, you'll see the actual emoji on the message now, except for it'll be with a green bubble like in the background. Why just in it, case you didn't this, know. This, <laughs> this green bubble, blue bubble thing needs to go away. It's like it's the most like weird, like classist, like, oh, we gotta we gotta you gotta make sure that people know that they're not using Apple products. Like who cares? Hells yeah. I'm just like, cool, I guess. Like I don't really understand the differentiation, like the rationale behind it. Maybe it's a privacy thing. I don't know. Um, but but there you have it. Lots of changes coming to messages. But throughout iOS 16, there's still other updates to expect. Um, and they seem to be more like individual things. So there's a new feature called safety check as part of your personal safety um, 
uh, I guess, feet tools, tool bag that, that Apple uh, has. Safety check will let you see, like, for example, the, the situation that Apple cited during the keynote was someone that's trying to leave an abusive relationship situation. Um, safety check will let you see what which ones of your contacts have access to your location and your calendar. So I think it seems like a very specific use case of like, you used to be sharing this information with someone and now you don't want them to have it anymore. Um, or maybe, you know, even if like maybe you handed off your phone to someone for maybe a few minutes and you come back and you just want to make sure that they didn't accidentally allow themselves. And by accidentally, I'm being optimistic here, but like they gave themselves permission to track your location all the time. Uh, I think this is nice to have, but I honestly would have loved to hear Apple address AirTags a little bit more at the keynote. Um, but, you know, unless they had meaningful updates to share, obviously they weren't going to talk about it. Uh, Sam, what did you feel about this safety check feature? I think, you know, it's a useful feature. I think it seems like every like the big developers conference, like either Google or Apple will come out talking about how like, you know, they have some new feature who, you know, save someone's lives. And I, and I think it's really nice to have features like that be more accessible because you never know when like, you know, you'll be walking down the street and you just don't feel safe and you just want to make sure that you can, you know, you can phone somebody in the case of an emergency or, you know, whatever. I, I think, you know, I think this is, we kind of, we're kind of seeing this sort of like, you know, spread throughout like the tech ecosystem at large. So it's yeah. great. Um, I know of like my, like people, I don't want to say who, who like they break up and then they're still stalking their partners through I, you know, iCloud photos or Google photos, that sort of thing. And they find out stuff that they didn't want to find out before. Um, so I do see how like, this is actually a more common scenario than I perhaps might've imagined. Um, and it's going to be nice to have the control to be like, nope, I don't want this person following my every move. Um, right. Or, or so, like, you know, so say you're that. like out at a bar and like, you know, someone's talking to you and you just don't, you kind of just want to get away from them. And it's like, you know, you want to be able to call in someone for help and do it kind of indiscreetly. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, so th that's all we really got about any sort of personal safety slash privacy related talk, which is kind of interesting for me because I feel like the last few WWDCs have been about private. There's like been a section on privacy, but this time this was really the main thing. Fair enough. Um, maybe they feel like they've done a lot already. Um, the other thing that struck me uh, as an interesting feature, uh, as I guess part of iOS 16 is Apple Pay Later. This is an interest-free four-payment plan, right? Four-payment uh, installment plan that Apple is offering to people if they want to make like big purchases using Apple Pay. Uh, I Apple's whole like dipping toes into financial provider behavior is is. Not my favorite. I don't know how I feel about a lot of these features, but I think my concerns come with like the whole idea of encouraging people to buy more with limited resources, right? So Apple Card was really a little bit about that because they wanted to give you a line of credit so you can buy stuff. And now this is like, I'm going to help you buy more stuff <laughs> with like by breaking yeah. it down to four payments. For, for me, like I always get worried about like, you know, buying stuff on credit because like I think... At least, like, a personal fear of mine is just being, like, in debt, like, way over your head in debt and, like, not being able to, like, dig yourself out. I mean, if you, you know, if you have the means to, like, you know, buy something, I think that's great. And, you know, if it's something that's really important and, like, you, you know, you know, you know that, like, you can pay it off over the course of time, I think that's also important. It's nice that it's interest-free, so there's yes. that. Um, because I know there's been, like, a, a lot of, like, 
talk recently about like payment services that are like you know encouraging like tiktokers and influencers and to like encourage people to buy a ton of stuff and they're like oh it's gonna be interest free and it's like oh wait it's not actually interest free and right, now they're like right. now their their credit is getting hit and they're stuck with a ton of debt um but like you know i don't I don't really have an issue with this, um, but at the same time, I also wouldn't really use this feature. So, yeah. I I don't know. I might consider it because why, like, not only is it no interest, it's also no late fees. Not that I intend to be late, but just the idea that, like, because I, I, I have had to, like, make a bunch of big purchases on, on loans or on credits, dealing with, like, people who are loan um, providers and stuff like that, and just being burned by interest, right, and feeling like interest is such a huge addition to your monthly fees or something like that the idea of no interest plus no late fees is nice i wonder if you know apple will push the credit industry to behave a little differently because of this because again it's also going to be accepted everywhere apple pay is accepted which means just your grocery store that accepts apple pay like does that does that mean you can pay for your toothpaste and Mm -hmm. like one dollar so, every and, month, right? And it's it's kind of unclear exactly how it works because I believe Apple is financing the like right. pay later store. So like they're paying upfront for whatever you buy, and then you're paying Apple back, and they're not taking any interest or late fees. So I, I guess they're like kind of you know they're assuming that people are good for it, which you know I think is an optimistic way of looking at it. Um, it's very optimistic, and then uh, also yeah, the financing. Where is it coming from, and is this just a way to encourage higher adoption of Apple Pay? Maybe do they think that Apple Pay adoption like currently is pretty low? I don't know. And also, it's limited to a few countries right now: um, America, Singapore. I think Portugal is one of the countries as well. So. Um, I don't know that this is going to be... Also, it's people who have Apple Pay, which means it's people who have iPhones. It's people who have some sort of Apple device. So these are not people who are at risk of defaulting on payments, I don't believe, right? So, you know, as there's a level of safety here. Um, that's, I think, most of the news for iOS. I don't believe I am I forgetting... Actually, I had one, one question for you. Did you talk yeah. to anyone at Apple about the new shared photo library in, mm, in photos mm-hmm. so yeah i did I, I did talk to apple but not about specifically this um they did sort of briefly mention it at uh when they were talking about messages and sharing photos and that sort of stuff but what you're talking about is the like yeah shared icloud photo albums which is like cool this is google photos circa like what 2003 almost like not that not that far back but like right. maybe 2015 and so one thing that's like confusing to me, and I, I talked to Dana a little bit about this, is that apparently it's a single shared photo album that you can add like a certain amount of people to, and everybody who's been added to that album can contribute and share and sync photos. But it's one album, which is just like you can't why? do more than one. You're right, gotcha. Right, it's like <laughs> you know, in in Google Photos, you can make as many albums you want and share it with whoever you want, and they can be different people depending on the album, and it's just like. Why, why limit it to one? It doesn't make any sense. It's like a really strange limitation for where we're at in tech. Um, yes. I don't know if it's like yes. a privacy concern or a storage concern or what, but yeah, it's really I weird. would bet the latter. I would bet like I think Apple doesn't have as heavy of cloud capabilities that Google does, right? Google has probably tons and tons more server farms, I guess, than Apple does. I don't know. This is me speculating. Um, but yeah, no, that is weird. I think it's like... 
more limited to like wanting to have a community that can see your private photos, like your family probably, right? And like your close friends, as opposed to like event-based or like situation-based um, photo sharing. I mean, like um, in, in Google Photos, I have like a shared photo album that I upload pictures of my kids. So like my my parents and my in-laws and like family can see that without, I don't have to send like every new picture to like 15 different people every time. And so like, that seems like a great use for it, but like if you use that for it, then you suddenly don't you don't have the option to use make any other shared albums. So it's just like I don't know, it's weird. It is it is a different implementation for sure than those of us in the Google Photos world are used to. But there's nothing stopping an iOS user from having a Google Photos anyway. So I guess that's the the constellation over here. Speaking of iOS, uh, you reminded me actually. There's um smart home stuff too, right? There's um the new Home app for iOS 16. It's just got a redesign. You now see all of your rooms on the one page. You just keep scrolling down on. You can um, have finer grain controls over devices by tapping on the cards for them. Um, that sort of stuff. I'm not, still not a big like Apple smart home devices person. I'm still very in the Google and Amazon world with that. So I mean, there's just not really a lot of choice, right? You have the HomePod exactly. mini and that's I mean, you can it. connect other things that are Apple, like HomeKit uh, friendly. Right, right. But there's there's no, like, Apple smart display yet. Right, right. Exactly. And there's no, like, first-party device other than the HomePod and Apple TV that really, like, would encourage me to kind of, like, you know, swim in that direction, I guess. Um, but for those of you who do, who are very HomeKit-centric, then you'll probably appreciate this redesigned Home app, which is, it looks nice. I mean, it looks a little, like, at some point, it looked a little, like, web 1.0 to me and on some places but uh other than that it was it was pretty looked functional um i do want to make sure we have time to talk about watch os 9 this is going to be a big a true chongster a chunking whopper of an episode so just bear with us here but watch os 9 is also another like platform that gets huge updates um and and among which are Apparently, the system's ability to now detect heart rate zones or calculate heart rate zones. I will get to that in a minute, but I really want to quickly shout out before we get there, the new watch faces. There's new like um, new fonts coming to the watch faces. There's new like uh, customization tools. There's like Sam sort of shouted out uh, earlier, new lunar calendar um, watch faces for people who follow that sort of um, timing. Um, for me, like I knew what my grandmother's birthday was on the lunar calendar. I didn't know it on the... Gregorian calendars. So there you go. So there's there's a bunch of options there. Um, but yeah, the thing, there's two big things, I think, with watchOS 9 being one is heart rate zones, which allows not only for like better information during your workouts, but also better sleep tracking. And then the other thing I want to dive into too is medications. We'll get to that really quickly. Um, but heart rate zones. Basically, they're able to like calculate whether you're in fat burning or like cardio or just, you know, low level activity. And then you can see that while you're working out. You can also customize your workout view so you can, you know, put which metrics to display while you're running, for example. Um, there is new um, information being displayed for runners as well. I believe vertical oscillation is one of the new um, metrics that you can keep an eye on. Um, so there's there, that's a meaty update coming to the the workout app in in watchOS but I was also very I mean like I'm impressed but I'm also like this is so behind the competition that like why am I so impressed but basically sleep zones right sleep zones while sleep tracking you've got um now you can tell you if you're in REM sleep deep sleep that sort of thing Sam you're about to say something well so I I, I wanted to ask you because like 
this sounds great, but the big issue is that the Apple Watch still has like one day of battery life. And so <laughs> most people have to charge their Apple Watch at night. So you can't, unless you like make an effort to like charge it in the morning right after you wake up or like charge it in the middle of the day, most people won't be able to do the sleep tracking because they don't wear their watch at night because the battery life of the watch is so short. Uh, yeah, I will say that like for me, I'm getting closer to like one full like 24 hour a day on the watch. So like I actually could do sleep tracking if I wanted to. So, so, you, so you wake it up and like, so you wake up and it's like dying and then you can charge it. Yeah, pretty much at like low power mode or something like it has to get like it's like, do you want to throw up low power mode now that you've woken up that sort of thing? And then you had to like throw it on the charger. The good news is that with the Series 7, it at least was like on, you know, faster charging than the old. Right. Models. So like, you know, you get up like you can, you know, go brush your teeth, put your put your uh, watch on the charger. And then when you're done, you know, hopefully it's ready for the rest of the day. Um, but this this I mean, this just goes back to like you really I really want all smartwatches I don't care who makes them to have at least two days of solid battery life so you don't have to worry about stuff like that. I agree. The rumor is that the Pixel Watch is only one day, but we'll see. Um, right, and I was thinking about that. That's a that's a, that definitely concern. Yeah, but for me, I mean, like, I'm not, like, a person who loves to wear a watch to bed, so this isn't, like, bother me so much. I am just happy to see Apple catch up to the competition. Like, Fitbit has had this forever. Um, but obviously, it's Apple, and Apple actually has a, you know, usually a pretty thoughtful way of showing you the information it's collected. So on the health app, uh, in the sleep section on your iPhone, you can not only, you know, look at, you like, the, the graph, the chart of, like, all the time you were asleep and what zones you were in, you can also tap onto specific times or spots on that chart to get more information, like, oh, how many minutes were you in REM sleep? How many, you know, and what percentage did that make up of your overall sleep? You can also get, like, that as a portion of your weekly contribution to that zone. So, like, for example... You may have only gotten like three minutes of REM sleep tonight or, or last night, but you, you know, maybe did get 20 minutes overall <laughs> that week. So it's it's more cohesive, I guess, if you get a bigger picture. Um, and then there's also like a widget that you can add to see sleep stages if that's that important to you. Um, you can put it on your lock screen or your home screen. And uh, it helps you, you know, compare how you were doing each week uh, more easily. I It's been a while since I've used Fitbit's sleep tracking, but Fitbit, you know, yes, it did present all of this information, but in a more like chart and like chronological form, as opposed to like being able to really overlay stuff on top of each other and see how you performed. Uh, the one thing I do want to point out is that sleep tracking on an Apple Watch with watchOS 9 will still require you to set a slip, sleep schedule, which I did not appreciate. Because they're not actually detecting when you fall asleep. They're just basing it on, like, I tell the watch that, yeah, I aim to be asleep by 11 p.m. And anyone that knows me knows I'm still awake at 4 a.m. usually. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, you know. every time. He's like, you're sending messages at 3 a.m. I was like, why are you up? <laughs> I'm playing Wordle at 3 a.m. I don't know. Yeah, waiting for the reset at, like, midnight <laughs> Pacific. So you wake up and play Wordle right when it comes, the new, the new exactly. Wordle comes out. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's watchOS. I mean, there's still a, a few other um, little updates, like there's a new multi-sport workout. Um, swimmers can get more, you know, like options to track their laps. Um, new kickboard option for if you're doing your pool swimming. Um, so quite a lot of, of new stuff coming to watchOS 9, including if you have uh, been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation too, by the way, um, it, it can better help you track how much time you spend um, in, in certain like zones, right? But the other thing that I think stood out to a lot of us is this new medications feature. This will be available to US users. 
Um, you can basically use it to track the medication you're taking. You can add a medication by searching from the database or by taking a photo of your medicine. So like a picture of the box or the pill bottle. And then you can set reminders to take it. You can log every day when you've taken it. Um, and then it will also throw up drug interaction warnings and it will flag them as critical, serious, or moderate drug interactions. So for example, maybe you're not supposed to be taking Zyrtec with ibuprofen. That's not real. I'm just saying maybe, right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not doctors. Don't, t- don't take medical <laughs> advice from us. You can, I, I, I have definitely taken both Zyrtec and ibuprofen at the same time. I don't know if it, you know, F me up or whatever, but there you go. Um, and then you can also choose to have these reminders for your medication uh, that show up on your phone screen, by the way. You can choose for them to be discrete. So instead of saying, please take your birth control now, it can say time for your medication, something like that. Um, so that's nice that it's con- considered that. Uh, you can also choose to share your medication info with your others, uh, with your others, with other people. So, for example, um, your parents uh, might be able to share their medication logs with you, just so you can keep an eye remotely on how good and consistent they're being with their daily pills. For example, I think that's um, a lot of concern, course. like you know, younger people have about their parents because you know. You know, if you're taking like seven or eight different pills every day, that can be hard yes. to keep track of, especially if you're older and your memory's not quite as good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I'm, so I'm going to nice, start making my parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have a way to like, hey, you know, did, did did you take it? And then like, oh, you can just check it off and you don't even have to ask them. So it's like kind of a more hands off way of like, you know, keeping thoughtful tabs. Like you're not trying to like spy on them. You just, you know, thoughtful tracks, make sure your parents are doing okay. Especially, you know, for both of us, both of our parents live very far away. So it's like, you know, it's sometimes like you you get a little worried about like, oh, you know, are they doing all right? I know. I know. I mean, it's it's only available in the U.S. right now. And so I think for your parents, sometimes that works. And for my parents, I'll have to wait till the feature expands to them. I think the key, obviously, is to like, you know, as it is with being a parent or a good person, you just don't want to be too like and foresee with them, right? You don't want to like be too demanding that they log their medications every day or whatever, but you also want to use it as a good framework for a conversation. Like, Hey, you know, you haven't been logging this. Is everything okay? Like just, I don't know. It's, it's really, that's the human side of things that not Apple is, Apple's not responsible for. Um, but, but at least it has this infrastructure in place if you want to. One thing I, I was concerned about, um, and I, I you know want to hear what you think, Sam, is that I, as a person, I have multiple drug allergies. I'm allergic to several types of antibiotics, which is a big concern. And one of the examples that um, you know Apple referenced when I was I was learning more about this was erythromycin. It is something I am deathly allergic to. And so that reminded me like, does this you know, medications tool have an area where you can enter your like drug allergies so it can warn you about, you know, potentially this. And it it, they, it wasn't something that uh, I got an answer uh, from them at the moment. But is this me overthinking it, Sam? Or is it something that like, is it like I would have to rely on my pharmacist and my doctor to not prescribe me medication yeah. that has that? I, I think that's probably the the idea is that like, you know, how are you getting the prescription for these medications in the first place? You know, you're getting them from your doctor, you're getting them checked out by your pharmacist, you know, so th- theoretically, you know, these issues would be solved way ahead of time. Although, you know, once you bring it up, it's like, oh, yeah, that should be something that 
you know, there should be a field in, in the Apple Watch where you can be like, oh, I'm allergic to this. And so it's just an extra safeguard. I think, you know, this is like the fourth or fifth, like, prevention way to prevent you from like taking something you're allergic to but like you know the the first the first presentation is like you know talking to your doctor your doctor knows best and then your pharmacist and then like you know you have your apple watch as a backup it's like oh uh or or or, or it's just in like a situation where it's like you get the wrong prescription and you take a picture of it and it's like then it notices oh hey maybe you shouldn't take this um, and then, you know, then you can, you know, follow up with your doctor. And I think that is probably, you know, like you said, now that you brought it up, it's, I imagine that's something that they'll probably add. It seems a, like a pretty straightforward feature. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I think it's, it's something that good to think about. And it's one of those things like, you know, it's, that's when you need feedback from actual users in, in order to improve, you know, products like this. Right. Um, Sir Holmes in the YouTube chat is like, oh, you gave a good idea to Apple. They're probably going to the office right now. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people have allergies, not just me. I, I just happen to have drug allergies that I, I've been, you know, having to pay attention to my entire life. Anytime I get a shot, anytime I get like any sort of medication, I'm like, does this have erythromycin? Because don't kill me. And I've been <laughs> hospitalized because of. So like, I, I just know to look out for it, but it's not something that people without serious drug allergies that would maybe think about. Right. Um, I don't, I'm not allergic to any drugs as far as I know. And so I wouldn't have thought about it. Um, but, you know, like, you know, that, that once again, that's why you need, you know, to crowdsource a lot of these products so that you do get a wide variety of feedback. So if we do see Apple add a drug allergy feature to this one day, we just know where the idea came from. Hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I want to blast right through the rest of this because we we have been talking about WWDC for a long time now. First of all, um, fitness, the fitness app now just it's available on iPhones as well. You don't have to have an Apple Watch to use fitness anymore. Hurrah. Um, and then the rest of the stuff that we just don't have time to dive into right now, but gets very interesting for me. For example, CarPlay is getting revamped. Um, I don't... Sam, I have news for you. I am learning to drive. Yes, and yes. So this has been a, a, act- like a, like a multi-year project of <laughs> let's teach Sherlyn to drive. I, I, I may need your help at some point, but yes, I will be getting my license. Goal is this year. Um, but anyway, so CarPlay will be very interesting for me because I've been in cars recently where like I've been in the front seat navigating with the driver. And, and yeah, CarPlay is on there. I'm going to become more interested in CarPlay over time. But yeah, it's going to better integrate with your car's infotainment system. And then also Maps got some, you know, multi-stop routing feature or is getting anyway. So you can route to just like not only your final destination, but let's say you need to make a grocery pickup along the way or... I think they said you can add up to 15 stops in a single trip, which is like more than probably most people need, but yeah. But it's great for like road trips, interstate road trips, for example. You want to add a stop to breakfast before you go to the hiking location. That's just going to be very helpful. So lots more uh, news out of WWDC that if we couldn't cover completely in this podcast, you can always check out the details on Engadget.com. We've also got a lot of videos on the Engadget YouTube channel. But I also want to hear all your thoughts on everything that Apple announced. You can send us an email at podcast at Engadget.com or just tweet us at Engadget. Okay, outside of WWDC, there were some slight uh, other news. We actually got some hardware to play with. Sam, you were able to spend some time with the new Surface Laptop Go 2. Tell me all about it. Um, So this is mostly uh, a spec refresh of the original Surface Laptop Go, which came out in 2020. And so 
the last one was started at 550. The new one starts at 600. So a, not a ton more expensive, but um, you know, fifty dollars more expensive. But you do get an 11th gen, not 12th gen, uh, Intel Core i5 CPU, four gigs of base RAM, which is not ideal, um, and 128 gig SSD. Which to me, that's the big, th- uh, big upgrade because previously you got 64 gigs of eMMC storage. Uh, if and if you know anything about storage, you know that eMMC flash storage is relatively slow, and so that you know that alone right there is probably worth that fifty dollar you know upgrade over the previous uh, base model. So it's a twelve point four inch screen, same resolution as before. It's it got a weird resolution. It's like fifteen thirty six by ten twenty four, so not full HD. But once again, it's a twelve point four inch display, so it's a little bit smaller. And you know from what I've used so far, you. If you have like good eyesight, you can kind of still see where the pixels are, um, but you know it's it's meant to be an affordable laptop. You know we're not talking like you know Liquid Retina QHD. You know it's good and it's it's like I said, it's a small laptop, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, does the does does the six hundred dollar price include the keyboard? Oh, so this is just a laptop. This is not a oh. like a tablet. This is a full laptop. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so okay. it's it's kind of designed to be like a really good travel laptop. Um, also like a good laptop for students. Something really portable, really travel friendly. Um, and you know, a, a more affordable alternative to like the standard Surface laptop for. Mm. Gotcha. Before I interrupted you, excuse me, you were going to say something else. Oh, uh, I'm just kind of running down the the, the, the other main changes. Uh, battery life is up about half an hour to 13.5 hours on a charge. Still running our battery test, so we'll see how that goes in the full review. The webcam is still 720p, which I don't like. I, you know, we were talking about it when the, with the new MacBook Air. I think 1080p should be standard across the board for all laptops, just because you know you want to look good in you know have a decent resolution for video calls. That said, Microsoft did add a new sensor. And from what I've seen, you know, it's pretty decent, you know, increases color saturation, increases color contrast. Um, and, you know, it's fine for video calls, fine for meetings. You're not going to want to live stream on Twitch with it or whatever. But, you know, that that's kind of to be expected. Um, I'm looking at the video that we shot of this thing and it looks clean. It looks very, you know, like it, it might be a, a at a price point targeted for maybe a student or something. But it looks on the outside to be even like conference room friendly like it looks sophisticated on the outside and, and so that's the thing is like, like you know they didn't have to change much with the design because it was already a good looking machine i think you know i really actually like the way the the surface line especially the surface laptop line looks in general because it's it's different enough from you know apple's macbooks and you know other systems and it has its own identity but it's still very clean very minimalist and like even just like the really simple like four square Microsoft logo on the outside, it's like that's all you need, you know. And there is I got I, got, I do have to call out there is a new sage color um, that I, I do like. So they have the other like the blue and the silver and the sandstone one. Those are still exist, but there's a new sage color for this year, and I actually really really like it. Um, and yeah, uh, so 720p webcam. Uh, 12.4 inch, 1536 by 1024 pixel sense display. It does have touch. Um, 330 nits of brightness. So pretty, pretty Kinda good did. for, yeah, I mean, 400 would be better, but that's more what you expect on like a thousand dollar laptop. Um, and you can upgrade, uh, the Ram to eight gigs. It tops out at eight gigs and it tops out at 256 gigs of storage. Um, and I think if you were going to use this as your main machine, I would pay for that upgrade to get the eight gigs of Ram. Uh, definitely. 
Yeah, I agree. Like, I was going to ask you, how did you feel the four gigs of RAM served you? I know you haven't spent too much time with I don't, it. I but... So, Microsoft sent out uh, the 8 gig RAM version, oh. which I think is probably kind of telling. It's like, you know, if you want a, the best experience, you're going to need a little bit more RAM. Um, and, yeah, ports are the same. There's one USB-A port, one USB-C port, and a Surface uh, Connect port for charging. Like, and, and kind of like, like you said before, I agree with you. I, I really like having at least one port on each side of the laptop. Right? So you have a little bit of flexibility. It's like, you know, maybe the outlet is on your, only on your left and you don't want to like reach the cord all the way around. I really like it. And this is like, you know, once again, just do USB-C charging. I know people love the magnetic connectors, but like support, if you if you supported USB-C charging on the USB-C port, then you could also just, you know, plug it in on the left if you wanted to. Yep. Does this, the, wait, so this doesn't support USB-C charging? I believe older it, it, surfaces it does, did, so... Uh, the, the, the tablets do, um, I, I have to double check to see if it supports USB-C charging. I don't believe it does, but, uh, you know, stay tuned for the full review. I will figure that out for you for sure. There's, there's also a question for you. I, I have a question for you. So this 12 inch machines are notorious for like really cramped keyboards. Did you feel like this was the same? Um, I mean, not really. Uh, I, I feel like the, the keycaps are just like a tiny, tiny bit smaller than you'd get on like a full size, like 13, 14 inch laptop. But I, I've been typing on it. I mean, I've been working a bit about it in the review, like while on that machine, it's been fine. Um, yeah, and even and even though like the touchpad is not like the Surface Studio touchpad, which is like really nice and like a different level, um, you know, it's fine. This is this is meant to be a travel companion, something very slim, very sleek. It weighs like uh, just over two pounds, and so it like you know, it just disappears in like bags. So you like you put it there and you don't even notice you're carrying it, and it's like. For me, I think for me, it's like I have a desktop at home and that's what I use. Like, you know, I have a big desk and I can't move it anywhere because it's a you know desktop PC. But if I want to go out, I want something really small, really portable that I'm not like, oh, my back hurts. And like, I don't I think like, oh, it's like I have to go somewhere and like I get tired thinking about carrying it around. Yeah. This, so this, that's one of the use cases for something like this, right? Like as a secondary device or like, because I was going to say, who, who do you think would use this or should buy this? But I was going to also wait for your full review. Yeah, I I definitely think this is for like if you want uh an affordable travel PC, I think this is a great pick. If you, students, a great pick, especially like you know middle school uh, students or like like even high school students, because it's like not as expensive. You know, it's well under a thousand dollars, um, and it you know it just it's really easy to carry around, and it's been pretty durable too. Can you game on it? You can, but not like no AAA gaming. It has uh, Intel uh. Uh, Iris uh, XE graphics, XE, and so okay. like it's it's integrated graphics. You're not you know you're not going to be playing you know uh, Overcooked instead of Overwatch, right? Basically, yeah. I mean, Overcooked <laughs> Overwatch actually runs pretty well on uh, oh, okay. on integrated graphics nowadays. But yeah, like n no Cyberpunk, no Elden Ring, um, that sort okay. of thing. Okay, perfect for students, I guess. These students, you don't need anything. So now, since we're talking a bunch about ports, um, while we wait on your full review, there's been like some news in regulatory uh, land uh, in tech. So, I mean, one of the wait, wait, big wait, nice things. Wait, nice segue. Way to go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the EU has reached its deal, um, and this has been in the works for a while, to make USB-C the common charger for everything. Okay, we, we know that the EU has for years now tried to find like sort of one charger to charge them all. 
and in the darkness rule them. Um, but no, this <laughs> USB-C would be the common charger for things like mobile phones, tablets, e-readers, earbuds, digital cameras, headphones, and headsets, handheld video game consoles, and portable speakers. Uh, and this would be, I believe, the target is by the year 2024. Uh, just let me double check that number. But for me, Okay, great. I am super stoked because not only for the phones and laptops side of things, which by the way, laptops doesn't seem to be included in this list. Um, but you know, maybe it's it's in somewhere else. But I think the laptops thing is probably a power issue because on really big laptops that like suck down like two hundred and forty or three hundred watts, those still use barrel, um, barrel you know, like pr- yeah. proprietary barrel plugs because the USB C PD spec only goes up the they revised it um i believe earlier this year i think they revised it so that it goes up to 240 watts but there are some 300 watt laptops and so that's why i think laptops are excluded and even right now um most uh power bricks like universal usb power bricks only go up to about 150 160 watts tops and they're still working on getting um usb c cables that have the that, that can handle the right wattage as well Yeah, gotcha. Like, it does add a layer of trickiness to it, so I get it. I mean, I am personally excited just for USB-Cs to be across the platform good because, like, my parents, one of them uses an Android, one of them uses an iPhone, and I had to, like, bring two chargers when I was traveling with them recently, so that was, like, just annoying as well. Um, But I also just, like, am excited for, again, the list of devices, like e-readers, digital cameras. I mean, earbuds and headphones, a lot of them already use USB-C, but like just the fact that some manufacturers for a while there were cheaping out and still resorting to micro USB, the fact that moving forward, they can't anymore. I mean, I think they were already going to trend that way because the choice to use micro USB, I believe, was always a cost issue rather than uh, like they believe that people should right. just use I mean, that on a power delivery issue. Yeah, when, when USB-C first came out, and I, I talked to some some manufacturers about it, 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 it would cost like a micro USB cor- port cost about five cents to put on a thing. And it was about 25 cents or more um, to put a USB-C yeah, port. A and so like, you know, if you, add, you multiply that by thousands or millions of gadgets, you know, that cost adds up pretty quick. The yeah. funny thing is yeah. like you were reading over that list of like devices that it covers, mobile phones, tablets, e-readers, earbuds. The funny thing is, is that all of those, at least nowadays, have already migrated to USB-C. So this is actually sort of like you know, trying to crack the whip at Apple to like, hey, yes. and you, you like, and Apple's already transitioned to USB-C for laptops and tablets. It's like the iPhone is just like the real thing that's really holding everything back. Um, because even, even Amazon added USB-C to their like Fire tablets, um, you know, last year and before. And so the one thing that like, I really hope that this does, and even though these devices aren't included, is that like, I really want, um, you know, now that like the big tech gadgets will be forced to use USB-C, I want to see other like random gadgets use USB-C, like electric toothbrushes or um, just like all, all sorts TV of TV like, remote or something. Right, TV remotes or all of like the like kitchen gadgets, like uh, like right. you know, an immersion blender. Immersion blenders. You're right. right yeah. It, like those, these are all the devices that I really want because you still get all like you know you're buying gadgets like not traditional core tech gadgets and they still have proprietary plugs and it's the most frustrating thing in the world. I have like a, a hands-free soap dispenser and it has like this unique uh, like magnetic charger and it's like, just put USB-C on it. Like it's so yeah. annoying. 
I, I, I wonder if like for some of those devices, it has anything to do with waterproofing. But I, I also know that waterproofing is easy to achieve with USB-C since a lot of phone manufacturers have proven it can be done. So it's, yeah, it's a matter of like, duh, think about convenience for your user as opposed to for you. Um, but I guess we're just, we haven't been there yet with, with um, USB-C and it looks like we're heading that way. So hopefully in the future, people just assume that USB-C is prevalent and is the standard and just use it. Um, and, and I also want to point out that this is the EU. So it's going to start over in Europe and might eventually make its way over to the U.S. as we have seen because um, the EU's uh, previous tech-related, I guess, doctrines like this have found their way over here. What with GDPR and all of that stuff, um, they have far-reaching impacts. So this hopefully will become a worldwide change. I also want to see, the other thing I want to see is, you know how you go to an airplane or a hotel now and they have the USB-A ports for charging? I want to see those turn into USB-C as well because now I have C to C. And A to C is becoming less and less um, modern. So maybe one well, day and, and also and fast like, charge in those. Right. And the other thing is like part of the whole purpose of this is to reduce e-waste, right? And so, exactly. you know, instead of having a whole bunch of different cables and adapters, you know, suddenly you don't need a USB-A to USB-C cable. Everyone can just use double-sided USB-C cables. Um and that'd be really great. And you see this a lot in the car world where you have USB-A chargers in some cars and then some new cars are like more, you know, tech savvy car makers like Tesla switched to USB-C in their cars. And it's like, great, um, you know, let's let's keep this kind of momentum going and make, you know, the whole idea is make make one port standard that works with everything. Yes. Then, yeah, you're so right. Like e-waste is a huge issue with this. It, it could reduce so much of that. So. Hopefully we'll see uh, changes coming soon. But speaking of uh, another regulatory, uh, I guess, thing that happened, this this uh, this news broke on Friday, so right after the podcast episode was recorded. But New York State passed a right-to-repair bill. Uh, as of June 3rd, it headed to uh, New York governor for a signing or for veto, um, but at least passed Assembly and Senate. So... The bill is called the Digital Fair Repair Act, and it would require original equipment manufacturers or OEMs to make available the diagnostic and repair information for, um, you know, the, the products that they make or as well as the electronic parts and equipment. Um, they, these things have to be made available to independent repair providers as well as consumers um, if they are also available to themselves and their authorized repair providers, which means we're looking at Apple again, aren't we? Because you've got all these authorized repair providers for iPhone and Apple devices that have access to the diagnostic information as well as the components required. But then all other people like I don't know, like uh, yourself, Sam, if you're fixing phones or you're a mom and pop shop that does repairs as well, they couldn't access the same information. So now with this, once it's passed into law, I guess, um, you know, Apple and other such companies will have to do that. Um, I know I sort of obliquely referenced it, but Sam, would you repair your own devices? Um, I have before in the past. It's not something I do all the time. But, like, um, I, it's just nice to be able to have that option. I think it's really important to, like, you know, if you are that technically inclined and you want to be able to do it, you know, you end up saving so much money that, like, you know, it, it's really nice to be able to do that. And I think the other part of that is that, like, you know, you, we've seen some manufacturers kind of open up, like, the internals where, like, Valve posted a complete 
first party teardown of the Steam Deck to show you what's going on and stuff. And I think just increasing the understanding and the availability of parts because, you know, for example, Valve partnered with iFixit to provide repair parts for the Steam Deck. It's like, that is something that's really nice. And it's like, you know, back in the day, that's like something that like you would do as like a gesture to the customer. And I think it's nice to have that kind of enshrined in law so that you have people have more have the ability to do that and do the repairs and in in a certain way learn about what's going on inside their devices there's a definitely educational aspect to that that i really like i mean that brings me to the other side of this which is that like i i believe apple's whole thing at the start of like not allowing anyone to be able to just open up their phones willy-nilly and fix them is like this fear of a jailbreaking and b like the, the proprietary design information getting out there. I don't know if this is still the case. Are they still trying to like prevent that from happening? Or, you know, are they going to find some way to prevent that sort of thing? I don't know if jailbreaking is as much of a concern anymore for, for Apple. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't but think was so. Was that possibly what it was like in the past? Um, I think part of it is just like, there's a certain level of control that like a lot of these big companies like to have where it's like, you know, if you're able to buy third-party parts, that means you're not buying it from Apple or whoever, and that costs them money. Um, and there definitely is, I think, a security part to that because there was that issue not too long ago where third-party repairs of like the um, Face ID sensor, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that could brick a phone. And it's like mm-hmm. I think there, there's definitely some security aspect to that, but that's just you know that's sort of on the manufacturer to make sure that you can have a device that's repairable and still secure. Right. Right. Um, and also speaking of that, there is a caveat, by the way, to the to New York State's Digital Fair Repair Act. It will cover um, uh, devices like, you know, any basically anything that has a value of over $10. OK, so I mean, I'm sorry if you were buying like an e-cigarette that's intended for one use. They don't have to provide like the the parts for that. But it also excludes public safety communications equipment, which is reasonable, uh, but also home appliances with digital electronics embedded within them, which means your smart fridge or your smart washing machine, you still don't have the right to repair in the sense that like the, the manufacturers don't have to make the parts and the diagnostics available to you, which I guess for now seems fine, but like it's it feels short-sighted. It feels like something that could become a huge loophole in the next 10 years because we're trending towards everything getting a screen in it, everything becoming smart. And I don't know what like the home appliance repair scene is like, but I assume you'd be able to ask an independent contractor to repair your washing machine without having to look for an authorized repair provider at the moment, right? I, I mean, that has to be the case right now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, this seems like something that like maybe could be amended in the future. Um, because like you said, like my oven has a touchscreen on it and you know, if that goes wrong, it would be nice to be able to fix it. And especially, or even just like replace it because the touchscreen is actually terrible. And like, so you have, you have a lot of like appliance manufacturers, especially like the not Samsung and not LG type yep. manufacturers yep. who are kind of dragging their feet when it comes to like modernizing and, you know, modernizing their appliances. And so they are still in the mindset where it's like, oh, we don't have to do this because we make ovens and that's not what we do. We're not a cell phone manufacturer. And it's like, well, no, that's not necessarily the case anymore. You know, so many appliances have smart smart tech features that it's like, you know, you want to be able to get in there and, you know, maybe the, the drum on your washing machine isn't broken, but the dial right. is and you want to be able to fix right. that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, as long as it has a digital electronics component, you you might need to, you know, you might not have access to the right parts for it. But um, hopefully, like Sam said, this is something that might be amended in the future um, to cover. But we still have a little bit to wait until this becomes law. And then after it becomes law, it also there's a year before this is actually enforced. So um, there's some time before, you know, the these parts that we're talking about become freely available to everyone. So sit tight and I guess, you know, get your screwdrivers ready. Um, and I was going to say, Sir Holmes kind of makes an interesting comment in chat where it's like, you know, I don't know anyone who wants to be an electrician on their day off. And that's totally fine. Like this, that, this, uh, the, this bill doesn't really affect that. Like, you know, you, you're still going to be able to call your serviceman or your, you know, manufacturer and have a repairman sent out. But this is for the people who like, you know, have the expertise or want to learn how to do it. Um, or, th- or it'll also drive prices of repairs down because now more yeah. people have access to the tools. Your friends and, and would do it for this you for like, 50 bucks, right? Absolutely. And this is kind of like increasing the general knowledge base and in, in, in empowering the customer to have more ownership and control over the device that they paid for. And I think, you know, I think that's the real goal from like, you know, more of a philosophical level. So we're going to be keeping an eye on that. Uh, and if you have any more questions about how to repair your phone, uh, don't ask me. But you can also send you can send questions in general to podcast at Engadget.com. Um, I do want to move on to what we've been working on really quick. I know, Sam, you're probably testing out the Surface Laptop Go to for a deeper review. But what else are you working on? I'm also working on the Asus ROG Zephyrus Duo 16, which got announced back at CES. It's their latest version of their dual screen gaming laptop it's a it's a big boy but they they have some some nice improvements to the second screen so you know stay tuned for that after the surface go 2 comes out uh what are you working on i know you've been traveling a lot but you, you still got some uh, some stuff in the, in the tank i i would really love to to take a break soon even though i know i've been on and off on so-called vacation but none of my vacations actually have been restful um but anyway uh yeah with with all this stuff being announced now about ios and watch os and all that stuff i'm you know probably going to be trying to test out the developer previews of those of those things and give y'all some early impressions of new features like you know undo send and how many people am i editing my messages with that sort of thing so um hang around and you know some other stuff being cooked in the background as well so on the way back from WWDC and also on the way to, I was able to watch some <laughs> movies finally that have been released, but not on my streaming services yet. Uh, Sam, did have you seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have. Okay. So this is the, the one with the many different Spider-Men, right? Because we've seen the memes. It's not much of a spoiler to say that. Um, but I finally was able to watch it because I was like... I've been waiting. I've just been too cheap to pay the $5 to watch it on, on Google Play or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I finally saw it on a lame-ass seat-back screen that Davinder will airplane, surely hate. airplane screen? Yeah. That, yeah. That's was, like the was, worst way to yeah. watch movies, but yeah. I know. But I was so scared. I was tired of being scared of having it spoiled for me. So I watched it. Um, I don't know how much we want to talk about it you know, spoiler free, you know? Um, but I will just say that I wasn't too pleased with the ending. Um, and I, I hope for a different outcome, but we will see. Um, and then I also watched, um, what Davindra, uh, said nobody should watch, which is Moonfall, which so Sam, I, have you I heard? <laughs> really want to watch this movie and not because I think it's good. I just like the premise is so stupid that like it- <laughs> there's aliens hiding in the moon 
Is, is that is that I, is that the, the premise? And then people don't that, believe so, that they're real. <laughs> I will tell you what happened. So I started watching this. I was like, ah ha ha, funny. Like I'll watch this. And I bet I'll like it, despite what Devendra said, right? So I start watching it, and then I just passed out thirty minutes in because <laughs> it was kind of just not doing anything for me. Yeah. And then I woke up at some point to the to someone saying. Uh, the, the the situation was this person was going to go into space and they were clearly not like qualified to go into space, right? And so this person, the line of dialogue that I woke up to was, I can't go to space. I have IBS. And I was like, is that really the line I woke up to? I was like, are you kidding? Like, what? This is so ridiculous. I immediately texted Devendra. I was like, what the crap is this movie? Like, what on earth is this dang movie? I will say, if you watch it, knowing that you're going to find this like sort of level of dialogue knowing that it's not it's kind of serious but halfway campy and like you know i don't know what it wants to be um, this then, is like yeah, the, the spiritual successor to the wandering earth did you ever see that movie it's awful. yes i loved wandering earth why it, it, it's it's like a chinese version of like the most michael bay like apoc- yes, it is. apocalyptic like scenario it's, and it's like uh, it's from it's it's based on a book by one of my favorite authors, and it's just like yes. I don't know. I felt I felt like it, it. It just went. It was just too extra of a movie. Is yeah. I and, think and, that's the one with Wu Mengta in it, right? Like uh, Ng Manta, Richard Ng, I guess. Yes. Um, in as the grandfather. Okay, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I liked I, it. Like, probably, I, probably I, I enjoy it, but I didn't enjoy it because a good movie. I enjoyed it because it was that bad. Yeah. And yeah, I think, was, you know, I feel like Moonfall is a very similar situation. Yeah, I mean, one has the moon crashing into the earth. The other one has the earth crashing into something else, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. Cool. The, the, the sun is um, crashing into the earth, so then we have to move the earth. The and move then the, the earth, there's aliens yeah. in the moon, and they're going to mess up the earth. Yeah, this is, yeah. Uh, yeah pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, similar, similar premise. But um, on, on to a better pick. But I have been watching a book called... Pro- uh, watching a book? Reading a book called Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I think that's the way you pronounce the last name. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've been enjoying this book. It's the same author as the person that wrote The Martian. So it's got very similar vibes. In fact, like I was reading this book on the plane and then I was like, no, no, I really want to watch The Martian now. So thankfully there was uh, The Martian on the in-flight entertainment system. So I watched that. But no, it's really great um, space science fiction. Uh, the premise is that they found life on the sun. Great. And... Uh, we got to figure out how to what to do with that. It's but the life is slowly draining power from the sun, and the sun was getting you know colder, and and the earth is you know getting colder by one degree every every year or something. So, you know, I mean, uh, sci- sci-fi is like my main jam. So uh, I'm I, I and I had heard about this. So it's like, it's one of the, it's like one of the books on my like to read list. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for the movie that's based off of this novel. But anyway, Sam, what have you been doing to relax? Um. So, I- I- Igor, uh, our colleague Igor, put, posted a hands-on review um, right when it you know released. But I've been playing um, Diablo Immortal, and oh, it's yeah. such a heartbreaking game because I I love Diablo games. Like Diablo Two back in the day was like you know I, I spent more hours than I can count playing that game, and the new one like. On a technical level, it's a great game. It's an incredible mobile game. The graphics are really, really impressive for a phone game. It's really deep, and it's like, in in some weird, in some respects, it's like a Diablo MMO, which is like a really interesting place to take it. But then, you know, Blizzard added in all the microtransactions, and like I I, I totally get all the hate and all like the anger about how Blizzard has 
you know, monetized Diablo Immortal, and it's very frustrating. And the really sad thing is that, like, I'm I'm only, like, level 35 right now, and, you know, everyone says, like, up until from 1 to 50, you don't really get pushed too hard. But then, as you get to endgame from level 50 to 60, that's when you start getting inundated, and you really start feeling the, like, crunch of, like, oh, man, I don't really don't want to pay for this, but if I want to, like, you know, optimize my character, it kind of feels like I need to. And it's just, like, such a heartbreaking, you know, situation to have what, in every other respect, is a great game, and then you just, like, I don't want to deal with these microtransactions. It's it's so sad. I know. I mean, so I think Dev was also talking about this game last time I spoke with him on the podcast and he was he told me this was a top-down game it's like a kind of isometric action RPG game so it's like three-quarter view okay okay I guess, I guess that's not so bad like I was hoping for more of like a first-person BOV kind of a situation but that's mm, no, just no I, I mean that's never step. been Diablo's thing um right but yeah but it's demon hunters and that sounds awesome to me but yeah no this the way that they've decided to do I, I guess i personally am glad to hear it's only the last 10 levels that they're pushing it super hard but that's also not ideal for anyone that really just wants to complete the game well i mean i think what it what it is is like i think if you just want to get through the story because this is you know diablo mortals kind of like a prequel to diablo 3 um like timeline wise so if you want to go through and just play the game i think you actually have a pretty good experience it's the like once you get the end game and once you start trying to like you know, improve your gear or, like, run rifts or, like, do, you know, raids, that's when you start feeling like, you know, because they have a system where you need to buy crests in order to get better loot from the, like, rifts that you're running. And it's just like, why? It, it, it's it's so, it's, uh, it, it's hard, just heartbreaking. I'm sorry to hear that. So I guess, I guess play Diablo, but just lower your expectations is your main tip. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sam online at... At Sam Rutherford. If you want to send me a list of things you can't do because you have IBS, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher. I can't go to space. I have IBS.